Oh, are you here? Okay, great. There we go. Wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. How are you? Good, good. Glad All to right. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. I'm going to go ahead and put us in gallery view so everybody can see us. Thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Yeah. Glad to be here. So can you uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself before we get started? Sure. So my name is Scott Lapierre. I'm a senior pastor in Southwest Washington and an author and conference speaker. And we've been here since 2010. Uh, my wife and I grew up in Northern California together. That's where we spent most of our lives before coming to Washington. And we have eight children that we homeschool. And my wife is expecting our ninth child in September, actually the same date as my book that's coming out with Harvest House. So we're excited to be a busy season for us. You're birthing two babies in September. Yeah, <laughs> yeah two due dates. I love it. I yeah. love it. And not, and not around the same time, but the exact same day. So we have the due date for Katie and the Harvest House. So this is the publication date for the for the, your book. And so we'll see how that goes. So. I love it. I love it. It's going to be busy time for you, for sure. For sure. <laughs> So there's a couple of comments in the chat that your audio is a little quiet. I don't know if you can turn it up or just speak loudly. That would be great. Okay. <laughs> so is this, is this better? Can you hear me okay? Um, I can hear you. So if, we'll see if anybody else has, says anything about it. But yes, it's better. So great. We have, a, we okay. have an answer. <laughs> Good. Oh, I um, see that right there where someone said, I see where uh, Miranda said that my audio was poor. Thanks for letting me know that, Miranda. Yeah. And so uh, does it sound okay now, Miranda? Or we'll see if some, does it, yeah. we'll see if someone else says something, so. Yeah, yes, it's better, good, yay. So right. as, as a published author, now is this your first book or is this, you have other books too, right? Uh, yes, I have some other books and I self-published and I don't know how much you want to talk about publishing. I enjoy talking about it, but when I first <laughs> started publishing, I had no familiarity with that world. And I kind of thought I had a, you know, decent platform as a pastor, but I learned that there was no traditional publisher that would pick me up at that time. And so I went the self-publishing route and then later uh, now started going the traditional publishing route, so, yeah. which is going to oh. make my life easier because now you kind of have, a, you sort of have a team behind you as a traditional publisher, whereas as a self-publisher, you're pretty much your team. You are your publisher. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, this book has helped you or the books have helped you kind of create a platform for speaking at marriage conferences. And so when we spoke on the phone, you were saying, this is something that you're pretty passionate about. So as a pastor and as the people are inquiring of you, um, what are coming across your table? What seems to be the biggest issues that come across your table for marriages? Very good. Yeah, thanks for asking. So I enjoy pastoring and an amount of most of my ministry is preaching, but I do an amount of, of counseling as well and have for the last 15 years. And of that counseling, most of it is marriage counseling. And then in marriage counseling, many of the problems, the, the big three in, in marriage counseling are parenting, uh, in-laws, and finances. So much of what we deal with relates to parenting, marriage, uh, or parenting, finances, and in-laws. And then those are actually often symptoms of disobedience to the two primary commands that God has given husbands and wives. And so generally, if you have a husband who loves his wife as Christ loves the church, you have a wife that's being respectful to her husband, then you usually won't see these issues. And so sometimes I say that the problems are more symptoms than actual uh, problems themselves. If, if a husband will obey the commands that, you know, that God has given him and a wife will obey the command 
that God has given her, the commands God's given her, then generally these problems have a way of sort of uh, resolving themselves. Yes, yes, that makes a lot of sense when we when we're aligned in our roles and we're I think a key for that when I hear you talk about that is the fact that it's personal ownership of your responsibilities, not pointing the finger at the other saying this is your responsibility because that creates a mess instead of unity. But when you take yeah. personal responsibility, it makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's a big paradigm shift because as you imagine, uh, people come into marriage counseling and they essentially want a referee. They want someone that's going to point the finger and say that, you know, this person is, the other person is at fault and they want to come in and they want to share all their grievances and frustrations. And there can be, you know, many of them that can be very legitimate. And they're kind of hoping that you're going to say, well, you're, you're working hard and you're doing a good job, but your husband or your wife is the one who's at fault there. And mm. that's not, that's not um, a very good approach to counseling. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And sometimes I find myself um, meeting with people or talking with people who have already been to even a counselor and the counselor themselves is bought into this one is good, one is bad kind of mentality too. And, and it just really doesn't help to grow and mature the marriage, doesn't help for unity, doesn't help for creating an image that really is a reflection of God by the way that you two love each other and support each other. So um, what would you say is your best advice for couples? Well, I was sort of reflecting on it a little bit. I think I might, I might offer, to offer two things if that's okay. So yeah. generally we treat, we treat our spouse the way we do because of our relationship with Christ, if that makes sense. And so people mm -hmm. don't, don't typically think of that, but a husband, so for example, you know, why, why does a husband love his wife or why should a husband love his wife? It's not because she's always lovable or because she's always going to respect him the way he wants to be respected or because she's always going to do the things that he wants. A husband is to love his wife because he loves Christ, essentially, mm -hmm. and he wants to do this for her. And so his, so a husband's affection for his wife or love for her is really an outpouring of his relationship with Christ. Mm -hmm. well, similarly, for a wife, uh, she's not going to submit to her husband or respect him because he's always the, the most respectable man or because he always loves her the way she wants to be loved or because he's always going to make the right decisions. But instead, she wants to because she wants to obey Christ. It's, it's really her submission to Christ that leads to her, um, her relation, uh, producing obedience in her relationship with her husband. And I'm, the reason I mention that, the reason that's so important is because we can't rely on our feelings. Like a, like a husband says, I don't feel like loving my wife. I, I completely understand that. And a wife will say, you know, I don't feel like respecting my husband. So we can't be driven by our, our feelings. We can't let those dominate or control us. We have to be driven or let's say motivated by something else, which is our relationship for Christ. Because in those moments when, uh, you know, I'm upset with, with Katie, whom, mm -hmm. whom is a wonderful wife and, and we, you know how it goes, your flesh flares up. You're looking at this person that you love more than anything else in the world. But in that moment, you feel all this hostility. You don't feel love or affection for your wife. And so you can't be driven by your feelings. You have to really kind of cling to something that's bigger and better than that, which is, so I, I guess one way to say it is you don't love your spouse. You don't love your wife because of what she's done for you, but you love your wife because of what Christ has done for you. And so you're not thinking about, well, my wife has done this or that. You're thinking, well, I need to do this because Christ has done this or that for me. And this is what he deserves. My wife doesn't deserve it, but he does. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, when I'm working with Christian couples, I, I often remind them of Romans 3.23, where all sin 
and fall short of the glory of God. So there's not a party that's not sinning and we need to have grace if we want to accept grace. I mean, we also have Jesus telling us about, you know, not Jesus, but I think it's Paul telling us about that we were forgiven before we ever wanted forgiving. So, you know, there's really... Um, yeah, I mean, Romans 5, Romans 5 says we were enemies of God and that God sought us out. He initiated a relationship with us. He loved us while we were yet or still sinners. It's not as though God began to love us after we changed and became these wonderful disciples of his. He loved us while we were wretched sinners. And then the gospel captured our hearts and that change began in our lives. So, right. And then probably the other thing, which I uh, think kind of flows from the previous thing, is that mm -hmm. if our if our relationship with our spouse is a reflection or outpouring of our relationship with Christ, well, then what we want is we want a strong relationship with Christ, which brings me kind of the second thing that I typically uh, tell people, which is to be uh, people of prayer, to be in the word regularly. If you want to have a strong relationship horizontally with your spouse, you need to have a strong relationship vertically with the Lord. And so mm -hmm. kind of picture this, people come into marriage counseling and let's say there there will be a man, and he's just furious about the way his wife disrespects him. And then, you know, the wife starts complaining about the way her husband has yelled at her and has not and has not loved her. And then they're kind of waiting for a certain response from me, um, but they don't get it. I say something like this: I say, "What does your devotional time look like? What does your time in the Word look like?" And they say, "Well, aren't you listening to me? I'm telling you how my spouse is yelling at me and how my spouse." And I and then I'll say, "Well." I hear what you're saying. I didn't, I didn't miss it, but the solution isn't to say, um, you know, that he needs to stop this or she needs to stop that. The solution is to recognize why you're treating each other that way. And it has to do with the weakness in your relationship with Christ. And if you will be in the word, if you will have a devotional time, if you will, um, if that vertical is right, then the horizontal will start to become right. And so people say, so you're really telling me that if I'm in the word regularly, if I'm prayerful, if I deepen my relationship with Christ, then that's going to strengthen my relationship with my spouse. And I say, yes, absolutely. That's ex that is exactly what I'm saying is the solution to these problems you're experiencing. Absolutely. And you mentioned um, what I would call emotional regulation, right? So we can't be run by our emotions. And even within our relationship with God, the, the way that our emotions pan out and how we learn to navigate them. I mean, the word of God, I often say, good science reflects God's glory. So there's so much I can tell you about the science of healthy relationships and the neuroscience and how the brain works. And guess what? The scriptures will tell you that too, just in a different way. So the, the reality is that we can, we can use, um, you know, religion as a tool to win the argument, or we can use the relationship of, with God to create unity and connection. And we've got to, we've got to keep a close eye on what, what are we really doing? It's all of us can stumble sometimes and get into what's easier. The brain defaults to using less energy. A religious rule is easier to follow than a relationship with Christ, but we always want to make it relationship. That's, that's super well said. I, I agree with you completely. Yeah. It is much easier to, which is why we lean toward wanting to be rule followers. It appeals to our mm -hmm. flesh. It doesn't take as much sacrifice as a relationship is loving someone that's unlovable, forgiving someone that has perhaps hasn't asked for forgiveness or has committed the same offense. I mean, you mm -hmm. can talk to me about difficult things in life, but few things are more difficult than forgiving someone who has wronged us and perhaps doesn't seem sorry or has done this for the umpteenth time, you know, um, there, there's, 
uh, you know, running five miles seems easier than, than um, forgiving someone like that. So. <laughs> Sometimes, absolutely, yes. <laughs> so you are an incredibly busy man. Uh, your ninth child is on the way. You're getting ready to, you know, publish this book and have it out for everybody. How do you manage your time so that your marriage doesn't suffer? I mean, managing kids and a wife is enough, but now you're adding all these other things too. How do you do that so that you're really prioritizing your wife? And yeah, uh, yeah, thank you. So I think there's an easy answer that's hard to do. Okay. And the easy answer is this. It requires um, prioritizing and deciding what is most important. And it's an issue of what, I, of what we know as opportunity cost, whether in the, the secular world, it, it's still the same. To say yes to one thing is to say no to something else. And I actually mm -hmm. shared something with my son the other day that has application to this. He's, he's 12 and he's kind of, kind of we homeschool, so we don't, our, uh, we don't have to have our kids busy with school stuff all day. The afternoon is kind of free for my son to be working on his landscaping stuff. And he's actually getting enough jobs now that he's having a hard time saying no to some of them. And I told him that the enemy to best is often better, or the enemy to best is often good. And what I mean by that is generally when we're pulled away from what's best, we're pulled away by something good. It's not necessarily something bad. So to have what's best, we often have to say no to good things in our lives. It's not obviously we know we need to say no to sinful things. Right. But we also have to be able to determine what is the very best thing that I can be doing right now for the Lord. And so for me, there are always um, good things I can be doing. My inbox is never empty. There are always people I can call. There are always people that want to meet. There are always people that want to counsel. There are people I don't know. They send emails. Uh, there are people that want ask if you'll perform premarital counseling for their, for their children. You don't, you don't even know their children. And so we have to determine what is the very best thing we can be doing. And so for me, it's, it's prioritizing, and it's first my well, sometimes people say this, they say, well, first I'm a Christian and then I'm a husband and then I'm a, and then I'm a, you know, an employee and then I'm a student or something like that. But it's not really like that. It's more like you're a Christian husband, you're a Christian father, you're a Christian employee. You're, it's not like Christian and then these other things where we compartmentalize our lives. And so for me, it is, I'm a, first I'm a, you know, a Christian husband and then I'm a Christian father and I'm a Christian pastor and then I'm a Christian author and they have to go in this order. And so there are many things, so even in authoring or speaking, my job as a pastor takes priority to those. And so there can be things that I have to say, say no to, and they are on the back burner. I don't write full time. My, my primary responsibility is pastoring. And so you can listen and you can say, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not an author, but this completely still applies to you because all of our lives are busy. Americans are some of the hardest working people in the world. We have some of the busiest work weeks and the only way to avoid burnout perhaps a heart attack before we're 40 is to have margin in our lives, which can only be created by saying no to things. And so back in you know, uh, about like 2013 or 2012, our church had grown and I was not prepared for it. And I began having these anxiety attacks. And I don't know if anyone's ever had an anxiety attack before, but it feels like a heart attack. It's a very terrifying experience. And my wife who's always wanted me to be a pastor was telling me, we really need to think about you returning to being a school teacher or something else because I want my children to have a father and I, and I want to have a husband. And so the only thing that I could do to really remedy this situation, aside from going to the elders and telling them I need help, but even that didn't fix anything, was saying no to certain things or, or certain, even certain people, even things that seem very worthwhile and good where you can look and say, how could you 
say no to that. And so yeah. that's, that's what I would say to everyone. You have to look at what you can fit on your plate and put those things that are best that the God, and that, and then that's the other element, kind of as prayer and holding these things loosely and saying, Lord, what is it you want me to do? Please make mm-hmm. your will for my life clear, reveal what I should do and reveal what I shouldn't do. Yeah, absolutely. I remember a time many years ago in my life that I told, I told myself, I finally decided I'm going to say, I have to think about it to anything that came across my plate because I was saying yes to too much and I was wearing myself thin. And sometimes I'd say, I have to think about it. And I'd turn around and call him back three minutes later because I thought about it. I'm like, no, this does make sense. But in the moment, I, I didn't trust that I could stay present to that very thing. What's the priority? There's always so much to do. And depending on your personality, you might be somebody more like, sounds like you and like me, that's going to just, I want to help. I want to serve. I want to do that kind of thing. And then you have other personalities that maybe are more, um, they want to go have fun and adventure and the time with the guys or time with the girls or this huge priority to them. And just really being able to, to balance that, right? Because even as a pastor, you can't always help and support somebody. And as somebody who maybe has a lot of fun with adventure and and fun sometimes that's got to come back and, and get centered and what's really important here and you know you gave our top three our top two priorities the christian spouse christian parents real clearly and i think all of us probably have that on this call so that's great yeah and we've we've all been given an amount of days here and our time is limited and i don't just mean our time is limited each day there's 24 hours in each day i mean our time on this earth is limited this is the time we have to serve the lord and we want to be faithful and it's not to say that we can't ever I appreciate you mentioning recreation or entertainment perhaps for some people that's what they need to say no to they right. need to say no to um that this isn't the most productive or profitable thing the they're neglecting their family or they're neglecting their work they're playing too much let's say mm-hmm. for other people who work too much they might need to say no to work and they might need to say okay today i'm going to take my kids here we're going to do this i'm going to spend my time with this time with my wife it doesn't look like the most productive time um, in terms of producing anything or working, but it is productive in terms of prioritizing and strengthening our marriage. And even, even in those priorities that we mentioned, where we recognize we need to be a spouse, a parent, or, you know, pastor, spouse, parent, even in those priorities, there's, we need to prioritize some of them over others. And so there are times when Katie and I, it's not very frequent, but we go away together can do it for a couple nights, usually two nights, and we pay usually some people in the church to, to come and watch our kids for us. And people could look, you know, our kids could talk to us and they say, hey, you know, how could how can you and mommy just kind of leave us like this? And maybe they think that that's not the most, yeah, the kindest thing to do to them. But we actually tell them, we say, believe it or not, and you'll understand this when you get older, we are doing this for you because it is important for mommy and I to have a strong, healthy relationship. If our relationship started to come apart, that's going to trickle down and affect you guys. So what you really want is for mommy and I to, to have a strong, healthy relationship, right? And they see us. And I said, well, that's what this is. This is an investment in, right. in our relationship. So I love it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as you're talking about that, I think about, um, you know, we tend to be drawn to people who are very different than ourselves. And I think that's part of God's beautiful design to reflect more of his image to your children. And when that relationship isn't protected, they're missing out on that aspect of unity that God wants to show them in, from their, your marriage. So yeah, that's beautiful. Commend you for taking the time away from those soon to be nine kids. <laughs> yeah. So um, when people are struggling in their marriage, you know, how do you 
direct them? What's your suggestions for them on how to get help? Okay. So first, when counseling, much of the time initially is spent listening and sometimes to determine where people are at and it doesn't feel very productive. People have come to you and they expect these answers. And mm -hmm. then, um, you know, you're spending your first meeting or two, you know, 45 minutes or an hour, hour and a half of just listening and taking notes and considering what they're saying. I think that's required because otherwise you're not really going to know where people's hearts are at. And so after you've listened long enough and you can determine what they're, I mean, we're kind of talking about priorities and if we maintain that, that theme here, then what are people's priorities? And is there, is Christ a priority for them? Is their spouse a priority for them? Um, and to help them get their priorities in order and, and in being investing in the relationships, putting their energy where it needs to be. And so I found, let's say for many husbands, when their wife, um, like uh, Genesis 2.24, uh, Paul quotes in Ephesians 5 to 31 that a husband is to leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And so you say, well, what, you know, what's the big deal about that? Well, actually in the ancient world, when that was written, that was a huge deal because the idea is that if a man is to leave his mother and father, which were the supreme relationships in his life up to this moment, then essentially there's nothing he should not be willing to leave his wife for. And so the idea is if a man will leave his father and mother, he should leave anything for his wife. Now, many times a wife should never feel like second place to anyone or anything. She must be the supreme relationship in his life. What I have found is that when a wife feels like second place in her husband's life, it's not often to another woman. Of course, adultery can be committed. Of course, a man can have a relationship with another woman. But it's often second place to what? Could be video games, could be sports, could be vehicles. I knew a wife that felt like second place to horses, her husband's horses. I knew a wife that felt like second place to her husband's car that her husband worked on. And so if Paul says that, or Paul and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit tells mm -hmm. husbands to be willing to leave their mother and father, the idea is there's nothing I shouldn't be willing to leave for my wife. And so that's a hard conversation with a man to say, you know, your wife feels like second place to this in your life and you need to remove this so that she can occupy that supreme relationship. And, and similarly to, to listen to a wife and she's saying that, you know, she doesn't respect her husband, but respect is a choice, just like love is a choice. The world kind of makes love feel like this thing that we, you know, you fall into love, you can fall out of love, or you fell in love with someone else that you're not married to. But the Bible presents love as a choice. That's why 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, it's not filled with a bunch of adjectives or describing words. It doesn't say, love is the feeling you have when your heart is a flood or something like that. Instead, it says, <laughs> love is what? It's a bunch of verbs. It is patient. It is kind. It is all these actions. So we choose whether to love people or not. That's why Jesus can say, love your enemies, right? Well, you read that and you say, how can I love my enemy? I feel, I feel like I hate my enemy because love is not a feeling. It's a choice. Mm -hmm. When Jesus says, love your enemy, he's telling us to act a, sort, a certain way that we don't want to act for mm -hmm. those people that have wronged us. Well, similarly, if that makes sense with love, it's the same thing with respect. So when a wife is told to respect her husband, it's not a feeling. Jesus is, she is being told to act a certain way toward her husband or treat him a certain way, even if she doesn't feel like respecting him or acting that way to him. So if a wife says, I can't respect my husband, that's similar to a husband saying, I can't love my wife. And I would say you can, God mm -hmm. wouldn't command it if you couldn't. I know this is difficult and you're not going to want to hear this, but you're choosing not to. God mm -hmm. has commanded you to do it, which means you can choose to respect your husband and you can choose to love your wife, which is actually how we win over our spouse. A husband doesn't win over his wife. He woos her. He pursues her. He doesn't win her over by being rude or mistreating her. Similarly, 
a wife is not going to a wife is not going to win over her husband by nagging him, complaining at him. She's going to win him over. First Peter three one says, not by her words, but by her chaste and godly conduct that, she, that right. he would see Christ through her. And so it's when we choose to do these things that we don't feel like doing that actually allows um, God to work in and through our relationships. It's actually a step of faith, to be honest, because you can you can almost see it. A husband says, I don't want to do this. And a wife says, I don't want to do this. And I say, what is it? Habakkuk 2.4 says the just shall live by faith. What does it mean to live by faith? It means to step out and do the things that we don't feel like doing, trusting that God is going to bring about the best result, even when it doesn't make sense to us. And so, yes, I am telling you that you should do this. You should treat your husband or wife this way, simply because this is what God says. That's why I can say it with authority. Like, the authority doesn't come from me. I don't say things. And then suddenly those are true because I'm this wise or brain person. They're true because that's what God's word says. So I can say them with authority. And then when I say, you should do this because God's word says, they obey as an act of faith. It is walking. It is, they are trusting the Lord when they do that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I think when you're talking about things that can be a distraction, you know, that, that things that could come above the spouse, one that I've seen um, that wasn't mentioned and probably not often thought of is ministry. Sometimes we can get thrown into the religion that we're following more than, okay, this is my relationship with Christ. If I'm this involved in ministry, this involved in ministry, this involved, you know, it, what's the priority? It's the relationship with God first, right? And not how I serve in ministry before your partner. Yeah, I was at a conference, a pastor's conference, so I'll share this because the gentleman shared this with all these pastors. It was Chuck Swindoll, and he was asked about his biggest regret in ministry, and he said it was neglecting his wife. It was in, it was making the ministry more important than her, and so this is kind of that discussion of good versus best, and so yeah, ministry is right. good. Serving is good, yeah. but not to be neglect of our spouse, and how many wives have felt or children neglected by their husband or by their father who's a pastor and so in some of our speaking we just took this trip to california to do to do this marriage conference and i took a couple of my kids and i asked them i i don't want my kids to feel like i'm kind of dragging them around and they're forced to spend their young lives doing these things they don't want to do and so i asked them i said how do you feel about this do you enjoy it and they kind of run my booth they run my book table and and my sell my materials and i asked my son johnny who was with us on the who flew down there i sat by him on the plane and my daughter sat by katie I said, Johnny, how do you feel about this? Is this is this me making you do something you don't want to do? He says, No, I love it. This is this is something I really enjoy. So by God's grace, at this point, my kids seem to be enjoying this. But if they didn't, then I would. I, I mean, obviously, we we do expect our children to do things that they don't want to do. It's not like we just right. go through life saying, Do you want to do this? Then you you know, or do you not want to do this? And you don't have to do it. But right. I didn't want them to feel like ministry was more important than them. Is my point. Right. And so we right. have those conversations. Right, right. Well, and that's, if it ever becomes that place where it's, they're not all in, that's where you get to, because as they get older, because your, is your eldest, is how old? Uh, Ray is 13, and then they just kind of go down about a year and a half, two Yeah, so yeah. So as they get older, they have more opinions, and of course, they need to be prepped for adult life. They need to be able to work with you, and so it sounds like you're going to do a great job doing that as that time comes. <laughs> well, by God's grace, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I understand you have something for our audience as well. Yes. Yeah, so I wrote a, a 
kind of a more of a pamphlet. It's called Seven Biblical Insights for Healthy, Joyful Marriages, and it's mm-hmm. free. Yeah, it's a gift right there. I don't know if I should put, should I put the link here. No, he's it? got you covered. Yeah, Christian has it covered, and then we'll also email it out. Perfect. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's it. And it's kind of a sample of my marriage writing. So I have a handful of marriage books. And I would say that if you enjoy, um, you know, this pamphlet, then I hope you'll purchase my book, Marriage God's Way. I wanted to offer a gift that was a little smaller than, a, you know, 250 page book to read. But if you enjoy this, if you enjoy these, these seven insights, which are largely drawn from my marriage book, then I believe you'll, you'll enjoy my marriage book and the workbook. And so yeah, just download that. It's free. And if there's any ways I can pray for you, you can find, you can contact me on my website. The link for it is there. And uh, I always am privileged to hear from people. And so just let me know if there's some, some way that I could serve you. Yeah, thank you so much. You, you're so generous with your time and your gifts and um, just your prayer. I really appreciate that. Really appreciate that. I love all you're doing too, and I'm privileged. Yeah. So I'm thankful for your ministry and what you're doing and privileged to be, be part of it in a small way. So thank you as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, um, I'll just check real quickly in case anybody has a question for you before I let you go, if that's okay. Yeah, it looked like there were some questions earlier, and I was trying to respond to you. and wasn't really reading them, so I'll let you know if there's something I should respond to. Okay. Well, I have on here, it says, with your eight children, do you have any who are naturally rebellious or very difficult despite loving and consistent parenting and support? If so, what advice do you have for parents? Also, if you have a child who's consistently verbally abusive to members of the family, how uh, do you parent to prevent the abuse and fortify the other children? Okay. Well, that's so a hard think, question. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. So I, I think the only people that think children are not sinners are people that don't have children, right? Because all children <laughs> are born, born with a sin nature. And yep. we see plenty of, we see plenty of selfishness. Our, our Bible study this morning as a family, literally I concluded this study about 20 minutes before coming here was in Ephesians 6, children obey your parents. It is the command with the promise because we're seeing disobedience with our children that we don't like. And we're talking, it was interesting, it was a conversation about, of all things, going to bed at a certain time and makeup, because some of my daughters wanted to wear makeup, and my kids not wanting to go to bed when they do, and just letting them know, I need to do what's best here, and I need to, God has given you to me, you're some of my greatest blessings and responsibilities, and I need to make the decisions that are best for our home. I can't defend all of them, there's no chapter and verse that says, put your kids to bed at nine, but your response is then to obey what we say, and I, I'm, I am sorry if you don't like that, but this is, this is what God says. And so, yeah, you know, if that's any encouragement, we experience plenty of disobedience and rebellion. We try to work through it all the time. I would not say abuse. That's a really serious word. I don't know the age of the child, but I would say this, that is not an ultimatum to tell your child that there are certain rules to be followed to live in our home. And this would be a very difficult thing, but you, but this, it sounds very serious, verbally abusive. I mean, I'm going to assume I'm going to take this at face value that we're talking about abuse here. Should a child, and I believe my children know this, uh, even though I love them more than I can put into words, if one of them ever became a threat to the rest of the family, well, then that child would be told that they could stop being a threat and then remain under the home, under our roof. But if they remained a threat, then they would not be able to remain at home because I cannot have children that threaten any of my other children. So that would be a heartbreaking thing to ever have to see a child move out. I've told my girls, you know, I hope they, they live with me as long as they want until they get married. I can pass them off to their husband. But if there was a child that was threatening the, our home, then that child would not be able to remain at home. So we haven't experienced any, we've experienced disobedience, we've experienced rebellion. I would not say we've experienced any abuse yet. But even disobedience, as a child gets older, let's say a child's like 20 or something, 
and you tell that child, I love you being here and I love you being part of our family. But if you don't want to observe the rules for our home, then I'm not, you, you're going to have to find another place to live, basically. And I've seen some parents do that. And then a couple instances, I've seen children repent and then be able to return home. So I don't know how much time I have. I could have, I could go on longer, but I don't, I don't want to go too long on my time. So yeah, we, it's okay. Yeah, we do have um, another person coming. I would add to that question. Just, I don't know how old the child is. Oh, it looks like uh, autism. Okay. So, you know, using, there's going to be tools that the professionals in your life are going to be able to support you with to help the child. And there's going to be education necessary for the other children so that they understand this isn't, uh, you know, that they just hate you or that this is normal or this is acceptable, like all those different factors um, to look at. So definitely if it's, if it's abuse, make sure that you're talking to the professionals in your life that can help you with that child. Nothing replaces the relationship you have with that child, but make sure that you're talking to professionals when you're talking about abuse. Well, thank you so much for taking the time with us and um, I look forward to having you on another event. All right, we love that, and God bless you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, bye-bye. Okay, so now we have Michael and Kristen Carey. And hello, hello, hello. hello. 